deceptive manipulative. Is also a former social worker and a political campaign activist. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. What's up, everybody? Thank you for joining us. This is the Eerie Americas. This is Vicky Ayala. And I'm Christy Hull. What's happening, Captain? Well, we say this every week, but I swear every week feels long. We work, and it's tough. And every it's week feels tough. long, and then I feel like I'm back here complaining about how long the week was, so it doesn't feel that long. It's one of those weird, <laughs> ironic twists. In the moment, it feels long, and then afterwards, you're like, oh, that wasn't so long. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's just work's busy. It's the summer. My boyfriend's about to have surgery, so we're stressed out about that yeah poor guy and then i walk like we record at christy's house and uh i came in and i'm like dude it smells like someone fucking bathed in cologne in your hallway or like dropped a bottle of cologne and i basically ate it but it turns out that that was probably the better of the scenario yeah the wonderful new york city i don't know what the hell was going on i live in a 50 unit building so there's a ton of people like i just live on top of people below people around people but yet we never speak to each other or see each other. It's really awkward and odd. And I think that probably has something to do with the smell that occasionally you'll get because there's so many people. God knows what people are cooking, eating, their cleaning habits, their hygiene, right. et cetera, et cetera. It's like having a hundred roommates that right. you hate. And so that's basically living in a building in New York City. And so if you're lucky, you get a co-op where you can actually like learn to deal with people. But right. But not generally, so much. not so much. And unfortunately, that has to to do with a lot of things that you can't control including the smell in the hallway so this morning we get up early my husband and i were going to work in the city and i opened the door and we both smell a funky odor now mind you this is like 7 a.m so it's too early for funky odors and not just that you know like you're barely awake like for right. you to have to like for <laughs> you to immediately hit you, hit you that's like instead of coffee you're smelling like what smells like rotting garbage in your face <laughs> And I was just like, why? No, I'm not ready for this, you know? And so it smells bad. But as we start to descend, because I'm on a third floor, the second floor, it was just like a bomb was dropped. I hate to get graphic here, but I'm fair warning. This is a little graphic. Skip forward if you're grossed out. I've smelled decomposition of before of corpses. I've gone composting here and there. Like So I've, you smell I've some smelled stuff. some terrible things. And it was a combination of both, if not one over superseding the other Ew. so i don't know if someone died and they found a body and they're trying to mask it or if somebody moved out and they just were just disgusting didn't throw out their garbage and Ew. just collected and it's just seeping i have no freaking clue but i guess their response to that is to douse the, douse whole, hallway the whole hallway and, and, and it's just not drop even, glasses of cologne everywhere and it's not even good cologne it's like the cologne you smell on old men like it's i'm sorry it's old man cologne and it is gross and i definitely ate it on my way up here it was so nasty but i guess at least i didn't have to smell whatever yeah it was rotting like, heart garbage you smell that's it was either end. garbage or a bowl that has passed i but I, charlie and i were more adamant that it smelled more like garbage it was which really, just makes it like so disgusting because it's like throw out your fucking garbage it is yeah. so dis- like i can't i don't I, know how people live that way i, really I don't know don't. either and the minute i start smelling garbage it bothers me and i'm like all right the garbage needs to be taken out like i don't like and i have a dog and i make sure my apartment doesn't smell like dog or garbage or and i hate that i smell. have a cat and vicky will tell you i this place is relatively clean you don't get a 
wafted with disgusting cat smell or cat hair or anything like that. It's you can keep your apartment clean. You can keep you your place can. clean. It's, it's very not that easy. Hard. Especially the good thing about buildings is that normally there's a designated area where you can throw out your garbage any day of the week. So it's not like other places where you can only throw out your garbage yep. on certain and days. We do have that. You can throw out your garbage any day of the week. There is no excuse for your garbage to be laying in your apartment smelling like that for it to hit your neighbors in the face people was, please stop being gross and this is one of the reasons that i'm getting the hell out of here i oh, can't yeah. i felt that way I, I don't can't. take i don't take the train much my job is five stops away by train from my house to work but on my way to christy's house i took the bus today and i don't know what the fuck possessed me to take the bus i think i was just too poor for uber this week yeah but i took the fucking bus and it's fairly okay in New York today. Like we had a couple of really rough days with a lot of rain. Today was 80. Wasn't that humid? Guys, it really wasn't that hot. Why do you smell that bad? Why? You know Why? what? The, it is the first warm day after like really humid. We right. had like the, the wafts of those tornadoes that were going right. through. Right. We, we had got... like tornado warnings every day and really severe thunderstorms. So it was cold in terms of rain, but it was still a little humid. And right. then it, it warmed up really quick. Bodies just naturally do that. But that just means you have to deodorize more guys. Like that's just deodorant, extra yeah. deodorant, because yeah. then it's there's time. like the person who hangs onto the strap above your head and then armpit in my face. And so oh, gross. Stop. You're going to get to my episode. So, so nasty people. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to, we're going to, move on from talking um, about how filthy again, New Yorkers are. <laughs> um, in lieu of an email, Christy got me into like reading stuff on Reddit. So now I'm like Woo-hoo. kind of obsessed. I love Reddit. So I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to pick something random. Let's do it. This is called Butcher Face from Dash 32. And he even says, fair warning, this will be long, but I'm going to read through it quickly. So in 1997, I was alive and that's makes me feel old. Okay. So in 1997, my friend who we'll call Chris moved across state. At that time, we were 10. We didn't really have much of a way to see each other besides getting a ride by our parents to one or the other's houses, which would be a hassle for our parents, so we eventually lost contact. During this time, I had only gotten the chance to visit his house once. With this story being in this subreddit, you'd expect the house to be creepy, but it really wasn't. It was a very plain split-level house, probably built in the early 80s with neighbors close by, so it wasn't even secluded. Like I said, we lost contact with each other for 10 years. That is until Chris contacted a mutual friend through MySpace. Remember that thing? Oh, yeah. He says, I didn't have an account on that site. We made plans to hook up and hang out. Now that we have our own means of transportation, it was a lot easier. After maybe a month of this, Chris mentioned that his family would be remodeling the house, and I offered him my help. Him and his father gladly accepted the offer since the previous owners apparently didn't keep up on it themselves. So a couple of weeks later, I drive down one weekend and we start tearing up carpeting, ripping off wallpaper, etc. The basement had been changed into a room for Chris some years before, and while half of the floor was concrete, the other half seemed to have been torn up and replaced with floorboards, and one of the boards had become warped and broke, leaving it protruding up under the carpet so they wanted to replace it. We tore the carpet up and started ripping out the floorboards when we found what looked like a hole dug about five feet into the ground under the floor. Chris jumped down there thinking he could get better leverage to tear up the boards when he said something was down there. His father got a flashlight and we jumped down to check it out. It turned out to be a very warm box. It looked similar to a shoebox, but it was about three feet long and extremely damaged by the elements. It was so tattered that you wouldn't be able to pick it up in one piece. We believed that whatever was in it would be just as damaged, but we ripped it open and we noticed that whatever was in it had the added protection of a black trash bag. Chris picked up the trash bag and its contents made the sound of plastic hitting plastic. We were curious as to what's in there, so we brought it upstairs and cut the bag open with a pair of scissors and found 24 unmarked videotapes. 
Me and Chris were curious as to what was on them, but his father claimed that they were most likely somebody's old bootleg collection. And if we're still curious, we should check them out later after we were done for the day. Since the plan was for me to stay the night and help out the next day and leave that Sunday night, we decided to watch them that night. Since Chris's father was tired and didn't really care what was on the tapes, he went to bed a little bit early that night. So we pulled their old VCR from their attic, hooked it up to the TV in Chris's room, and took one of the tapes out of the bag and slipped it in. The tapes certainly weren't bootleg movies like Chris's father believed. They were home movies of an unknown man we eventually began to call Butcherface. There was seemingly no flow from one scene to the next. It was like he would just film something random for what it was, usually just a couple of minutes, then put the camera away for God knows how long until he found something else that interested him. Most of the footage was random footage, like him turning on the camera, facing a chair. He would walk out from behind the camera to the chair, push it over onto the floor, walk back to the camera, and turn it off. Or him playing with a random spider, which he would talk to in a low, childlike voice, then end the tape with him squashing it. Or him just filming down at his feet as he walks while deeply breathing. The one thing that always stuck out about all the footage is that the few times that his face was shown, he was seen wearing what looked like a burlap sack tightly tied around his head with twine with two eye holes cut out. He was also a big guy being easily over six feet tall with a decent build with some muscles but not being buff. A lot of the footage was a lot more creepy and sinister. Some of the footage was of him videotaping people leaving buildings and houses. He was obviously hiding somewhere across the street from these locations and he was often breathing loudly. Even worse were the things he videotaped himself doing. One piece of the footage showed him sitting at a table with a rat trapped in an empty large pickle jar. He unscrewed the pickle jar, took the rat out, slowly put his hand on its head and started twisting until it stopped screaming. He twisted a little bit more until his head was completely ripped off the body. Then he turned the camera off. Another clip showed him in a barn, which there was no barn on my friend's property, so we don't know where this was filmed. And he turned the camera on, showing a pig tied to a post. He walked over to the pig with an axe in his hand and hacked its head off. What was really creepy was that most of the footage was shot in what was now my friend's house. It was always dark in the footage, like this man didn't like to have lights on. But we did recognize various locations of the house. One piece of footage was obviously shot in the living room, which showed Butcherface using a large hunting knife to cut the power cord off of something we couldn't see, wrapping this cord tightly around his arm, grunting and moaning as he does it, and using a knife to cut deep cuts into his hand and arm. One disturbing clip showed him standing in front of a table in the kitchen. On the table was a clothes iron. He then unzipped his pants, took out his penis, put it on the table, and pressed the hot iron against <gasps> it. He oh. screamed but didn't take it off for about 30 seconds. He finally took it off, limped over to the camera, and turned it off. What freaked us out the most was a clip, because that didn't freak them out enough. So what freaks, what freaks us out the most was a clip of Butcherface in what used to be Chris's upstairs bedroom before he moved to the basement. He turned the camera on and showed the whole room covered in what appeared to be hundreds of lit candles. They were on every table, chair, and shelf. The walls were covered in paintings of grotesque and ghostly faces. He then walked to a corner of the room and started furiously carving something into the floor with a hunting knife. He would stab it into the floor and drag it around, pull it out, and stab again. Since that room was vacant at the moment and used for storage and was going to be renovated anyway, Chris's father let us tear up that carpet in that area of the room. What we found was a section of the floor that had been heavily sanded down with no real evidence of what had been carved there. Another tape showed footage of Butcherface in that same room with even more candles. He was on his knees facing away from the camera with his arms in the air screaming to be brought to the pits of pain and torture. One interesting thing about this clip is that he only had three fingers on his left hand. He was missing his pinky and his ring finger. 
but had all five fingers in the previous clips, so they think he cut them off. Oh. That was the last clip of the tape, and that camera appeared to run out of tape. The last piece of footage on the tape showed Butcherface furiously digging the hole that we found in the basement. He was digging fast and breathing heavily. He was constantly grunting. His shirt was off, but he still had the mask on. After a couple of minutes of him just digging, he started talking, saying something like, This is it. This is it. They won't know. They'll never find me. This is where I'll hide. What the fuck? And this is why I don't ever want to move into a house. At least apartments, I know they re-renovate them. In between tenants, you couldn't pay me enough to move into a house anymore. Really? Houses are creepy. I'm going to move into a house. And I'm always terrified of what people like put I'm terrified behind walls of, and shit and i'm terrified what happens in this in apartments more so than than in houses because apartments are flipped more so god knows what that tenant that did is prior true. they probably have a lot more tenants but moral of the story is some people are super fucking creepy yeah check floorboards and shit but maybe don't watch the tapes that's so fucking creepy but like why couldn't just be porn or something like I know, that would have been normal i know freak of nature what are you gonna do sorry you had to go through that guy so I kind of thought of this episode because we've gotten a lot of feedback about the subway, but I wanted to be able to link it to being proud of where we are, which is Brooklyn. Now that my time's kind of limited here, I you'll you know, always be from Brooklyn, though. Yeah, I, it's true. When you hear this episode, a teeny tiny holiday that only matters to those of us Brooklynites and those from Queens. You know, I realize Queens doesn't have a nickname. Like, what should we call them? Queensters? There's no nickname for people from Queens. That's, That's true. Crazy. Like, we're Brooklynites. And then there's the Bronx. Right. And, you know, Staten Islanders. But what do you call people from Queens? I'm going to say Queensters. I like that. All right, Queensters. There is an annual Brooklyn Queens Day that occurs the first week in June. Nothing really happens on this day other than if you're a student, you get the day you off. Get one day off. And <laughs> teachers have an administrative day, but it inspired this episode for me. Now that my mood's in motion, I find myself teetering on love more so than hate with living in New York. Now, for those of you who may say to yourself, what the hell are you talking about, Christy? You more than likely don't live in any part of New York City. You may come for a visit, love it, and say to yourself, I would love to live here one day. <laughs> or you have a cool cousin or friend who lives here who tells you nothing but good things. But the truth is, the capital of the world is truly not cut out for everyone. Right. Most of us here have a love-hate dynamic with this place. And if you say to yourself, how can you live in a place where you hate it half the time? Then you definitely don't live here. Right. Sure, bars are open late. You can get a sandwich or street food at any hour, and art seems to spew out every corner. But NYC requires one major trait that people misinterpret that they think we don't have which is patience people think we're impatient here when they visit but the truth is we use all of our patience on keeping our fucking sanity and like that's just how it is yeah that's why we're short sometimes but really we're just trying not to lose our shit one of the things that keeps us insane in the membrane here is the subway system oh yeah the traffic in new york is so bad most people have to rely on the subway to get around since it's supposed to be the most practical and fastest way around now we all know this is bullshit and we have no idea why it sucks so hard day to day when other major cities have gotten their shit together. Even Vicky's man joining the MTA still hasn't given the answers clear he to us. He actually, funny, texted me right before we started recording that he almost got to work late because of something that happened with the bus. See, he's not even immune to it and he works for them. But there's something we don't consider as we stand there wedged between backpacks and briefcases waiting for the train to stop stalling in between stops. Who or what else rides the subway? Tales and urban legends have long been heard of in the MTA. There have been at least three documented hauntings of stations, according to Phil Schoenberg, who runs Ghost Walks of New York. He offers walking tours of haunted areas in the city and has a doctorate in history from New York University. There's the tale of Fala, 
the trusted Scottish Terrier companion of former president FDR. The president often traveled with her from Grand Central to the Waldorf Hysteria Hotel through a secret entrance and elevator. Or the tale of George McClellan, who was the mayor when the day the subway opened for passengers in New York City changed forever. Mayor McClellan convinced an apprehensive conductor to let him take control of the train for a stop. Imagine this guy's frustration when Mayor McClellan refused to yield, driving the train most of the way to Harlem before relinquishing the controls. I can imagine this being really funny. Even death can't stop this mayor's infatuation with the rails, however. Many travelers claim to have seen this spectral engineer running the controls on the 6th to this day. Wow. But what about everyday riders of Brooklyn's and Queens? Have they ever experienced anything unexplained? Aside from the norms like the lady making out with the turtle and the transient screaming about redemption, the next three stories come from everyday people riding the train, still trying to figure out what they experienced. Ooh. So this is from creepypasta.com. One of my friends is a paramedic in New York. Don't ask me why, but it was always his dream to become one. In New York, being the big and wild city that it is, he, of course, has seen some crazy things. He doesn't talk about his experience as much as they're always very personal and often disturbing, but I know that he's encountered his fair share of gruesome stabbings and gunshots. For example, he told us how one time some kids were playing with his shotgun and one of the kids got his jaw blown off. The boy was still alive as my friend rushed him to the ER and and he eventually lived, but he is horribly disfigured and has to eat through a tube the rest of his life. There were other stranger things. He told us once how he responded to a call where an elderly woman managed to decapitate herself at home. They found her body sitting in a chair in front of the TV, which was still on, and her head was laying on its side in the middle of the floor beside a puddle of blood. Her door was locked. All the windows were closed. All they know is that her neighbors heard a loud thud in her apartment and called the cops when she didn't answer her door, but no one figured out exactly how it happened. Yet, by far, the strangest, creepier story that he's ever told us is one about the mysterious subway deaths that happened several years ago. A few of my other friends and I were hanging out at his apartment one time, drinking and listening to music, when the topic of ghosts came up. We started talking playfully about ghost experiences we had as children, just shadows in the corner of our eyes, feeling of being watched, stuff like that. But then my friend spoke up and said in a very serious voice that he wanted to tell us a story that he swore to God actually happened and freaked him out so much it sometimes keeps him awake. And when he rode the subway late at night, almost gave him panic attacks. We all became serious as he told us the following story, which I will tell you now. So my friend said a couple years ago that the ambulance crew started getting calls about once every week about people found dead on the subway. The deaths always happen between a few particular stations. He said the names, but I can't recall them. The NY subway system is huge, which is true. Very true. And always happened late at night when the subway cars were almost deserted. In fact, the victims were always found alone in a subway car sitting or lying on the benches, and there was never any witnesses. Another detail is that all the victims were males and died of heart attacks, sometimes even when they were unusually young. After the calls had been coming in steady for a couple months, the story started to get some minor attention. The police checked footage from the cameras in the stations, but never saw anyone get on or off the trains regularly that made them think of a, that a particular person was causing heart attacks with drugs or stun gun or by some other means. There was no explanation. It seemed that some unlucky guy would be riding a subway car, everyone else would get off, and sometime when he was alone in the car between stations, he would simply have a massive heart attack and die. The newspaper even ran a small insert about the case in the back breaches of a police blotter. Perhaps you even saw it, asking for information, yet nothing came of it. Eventually, my friend was lucky or unlucky enough to get a clue about what might have been going on. He was on duty one night when his crew responded to a call about one of the heart attacks. But this time, the person managed to survive. 
They picked him up from the platform of one of the stations where he was lying on the ground with a jacket from a good Samaritan who called 911 under his head. The person who placed the call was still there and said that when he entered the car, he saw the man sitting slumped over one of the benches and gasping for air. Then called 911 when he saw when he saw the man indicated he needed help. My friend assisted in strapping the guy who was about 40 or so into a stretcher and was with them in the back of the ambulance as they went to the emergency room. The man was well enough to talk and my friend listened to him while he did whatever medical things one does in such a situation. Soon, he realized that something abnormal was going on in the subway, something that still disturbs him to this day. The man said that he was on his way home from an exhausting shift at work late night as usual. There was just a few people in the car when he boarded, and he was very tired and started nodding off as he sat in the car. He said he remembered at one point in between naps that the car became deserted except for him. He suddenly awoke to find himself paralyzed. He could see in front of him what was going on, but couldn't move, not even blink. He tried to yell, to moan, to do something, but the only result was his inward efforts was silence. He said that he had experienced sleep paralysis before, usually at home, but it was what happened next that almost killed him. As he was sitting there paralyzed, the train rolling between station, he saw a little girl walking towards him. She was neither happy nor sad, he said, just an average little girl like you would see walking down the street, but she was transparent, as if he were watching a reflection in a window. He began to feel extremely anxious as she came near, but he still couldn't move. She did not look at his eyes, but said he felt she looked at him as if she knew him. She acted like it as well. She climbed up onto his lap and curled herself into a ball as if to sleep, just the way you would see little girls do with their parents when they're tired. At that moment, he said he had his heart attack started. The little girl was cold and motionless as she sat on his lap, and he said from the cold that crept over his whole body till it began to feel like someone was squeezing the middle of his chest. He started to lose his breath, but there was nothing he could do. The little girl just sat there in his lap, filling him up with the cold. Suddenly, the subway arrived at the next station, and the little girl dissolved the man's words from his lap just before he heard the door open. That's when the good Samaritan who made the call came up to him. My friend related that the man survived the incident and fully recovered. The calls about heart attacks continued to come in for another month or so, then mysteriously stopped just as quickly as it started. No conventional explanation was ever found that could ever fully explain the incident. My friend offered a couple theories of his own as to what it might have happened. First, he said sleep paralysis is fairly common and often is accompanied by vivid dreams and hallucinations, which could explain what the man saw. Yet it does not explain the wave of heart attacks, all occurring with males along the subway, all roughly between the same stations. Unfortunately, for the sake of finding the truth, the lucky man was, at least to my friend's knowledge, the only one to survive, and consequently, there are no other stories to corroborate this. The other theory is that there really was a ghost of a little girl who caused the heart attacks on the subway. Like any big city, New York has a lot of domestic crime and many broken families. My friend speculated that she was a girl who perhaps killed by one of her parents or maybe died when she somehow wandered into the subway tunnels after running home and spent the time after her death searching for her father. Of course, no one knows for sure. After my friend finished speaking, we all sat there silently staring at the ground. Some upbeat song played in the background from the stereo, but the mood was dead by now and stayed the way all the way until my friends and I went home. When we did, I don't think a single one of us took the subway that evening. I don't want to take the subway ever again. I already don't like the subway. I already have anxiety. <laughs> you already have anxiety. What train was this? I need to know what train this was. <laughs> I won't ever take that train. Meanwhile, Ryan rides the train every single night. Every night, and he works at night. <laughs> Sorry if this is going to freak you out, Mix. <laughs> I oh, yeah. have thought about it. <laughs> yep, yep. My bad. My episodes always freak you out. I'm sorry. They do. I'm going to need a, like a bigger Uber budget because I'm never taking the train to work I'm again. I'm a freak of nature. I'm sorry. I always go for the creepy stuff. 
Mm. So there's two more. Oh, yeah. It'll be okay. Okay. This was actually off Reddit as well. Oh my God, this is how I die, isn't it? I'm just going to like write it up. <laughs> this is it. I'm going to hear about train stories and I'm done. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you don't seem sorry, but go. <laughs> okay, so this is off Reddit. This is from Flamehead243. I fell asleep on the NYC subway. That's what he titled it as. Don't ever fall asleep on the subway. <laughs> <laughs> As New Yorkers, do not fall asleep on the subway. And it doesn't just mean the eerie stuff. Charlie has a good story. The first time he fell asleep drunk on the train, he woke up to his jean pockets being ripped. Someone ripped open his jeans pockets, like, you know, from his jeans to steal his wallet and phone, like, in the front part pocket. Yeah, don't fall asleep So that Not even just the creepy stuff that is paranormal, just the everyday people. The everyday, like, just don't. Or, like, even just the simple fact of you fall asleep on the train and wind up in another borough, because these trains are multi-borough, most of them. So, like, you fall asleep in Brooklyn, you'll wake up in the Bronx. I recently moved to the city, so I'm not completely familiar with the ins and outs of how to use the subway. I work in Manhattan, but I've been crashing with a friend in Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn until I can find my own place. After wandering out of a bar in Chelsea the other night, flight 151 if anyone's interested, (laughs) I got onto the downtown C train, dodged the other drunks to find a seat, and was out like a light. I felt a little more sober when I woke up, but I was the only person in the subway car. The train must have just stopped because I heard the conductor ask everyone to get off as this train was out of service. Once I was on the platform, I tried to figure out where the hell I was. I didn't recognize the name of the station and I didn't see a map or anything. I was starting to get a little freaked out because there wasn't anyone else on the platform. I was about to try and find the car with the conductor, but the train took off before I could locate him. I estimated that it must have been really late. My phone was dead and I didn't see a clock. At that point, I decided to bite the bullet and just go to the street and hail a cab. I'd have to deal with my friend making fun of me for sure for getting lost later. As I walked to find the exit, I didn't notice anything strange but the station yet. There was just a couple of overflowing garbage cans on the platform, which sadly is that's That's normal. normal. Yeah. And some trash sitting in pools of disgusting subway water down the tracks. It apparently had been a busy weekend. I didn't recognize the neighborhood when I was at the street level. I just saw a bunch of generic terraced brownstones. I could be anywhere in Brooklyn, which is facts. I was seriously starting to get on nerve, though, because I didn't see a single person or light on. Granted, it was the middle of the night, but I didn't see any cars coming down the street. I looked up to try and find at least the Empire State Building to use that as a landmark to get my bearings, but I didn't see anything. I must have gone way too far. Worst of all was the absolute silence. I had been in the city for a few weeks, so I had already gotten used to the constant barrage of noise. This sudden aural levity was making my head spin. I can tell you, I have never in my life experienced a deathly silent moment in New York City. So that, that would, would creep me out right me there the because I live in a, it's fairly quiet over here, but you, it's never completely silent. There will always be some sort of noise. So that right there is very creepy. I pulled the last cigarette out of my pack and lit it as I took in the strange surroundings. I dropped the empty pack out of frustration and started walking, hoping to find a cap. I had been moving for less than a minute when I realized the street I was walking down kept going straight as far as I could see which is really strange. Really weird. There were no cross streets, just rows of endless dark widowed brownstones and parked cars. Now, mind you, New York City, we always have intersecting streets. Yes, so if that's you've never been strange. here, that's what's creepy And even about if it. it was straight, if it was, let's say, a dead end or a one-way, it doesn't go on that long. Not to the point where you can't see another street intersecting. That does not happen here. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up and I started having trouble breathing. I thought maybe someone had slipped something in my drink, but I felt stone cold sober now. I looked over my shoulder, but all I saw were more endless brown stoves in the subway entrance. I started walking faster now. 
Even at this hour, there had been at least a few night owls and about, or at least watching TV in their apartments, but I still saw nothing. I started to realize this block was impossibly long. I looked at the brownstones and noticed for the first time none of them had any numbers. And not only were there no side streets, the terrace houses had no alleyways between them. I finally saw the next subway station come into view and raced forward to hopefully find more people to ask where I was. The only thing I found was an empty subway entrance with an equally empty pack of Marlboros in front of it. In a panic, I ran upstairs on the building on my right and looked for a buzzer to ring. Unable to find one, I started pounding on the door. Something was off. There was a door at the top of the steps, but not really. I didn't feel wood under my fist, but just solid rock. There was no doorknob. Looking closer, I realized the wood door was fused to the rest of the building. Just the fact that there were that many brownstones is weird too, but that's yeah. weird. And no doorknob, no door, door numbers, nothing. Excused? I stepped back shocked and attempting to glance in the window, I just saw solid black. My head spun around, confirming the rest of the buildings were all the same. These didn't appear to be actual brownstones, just some sort of mass doing of crude impression of an apartment block. I almost threw up out of sheer confusion, and I darted back to the subway entrance. That would have been me. I totally would have thrown up. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Vomit. It was the only structure on this infinite block that stood out. I scrambled down the stairs and approached the turnstiles. I hadn't noticed before, but something was wrong with those, too. Oh, good. There was no place to swipe my card, just smooth steel. I grabbed onto the turnstile arm to see if they had had any give either way, but when I pulled back and forth, it was locked solid. This was especially confusing as I had just walked through the turnstile minutes ago without a problem. So weird. I leaned in closer and saw there was no mechanism or machinery operating the turnstile arm. The whole apparatus looked as if it was cast as one solid block of metal. The buildings and this platform were just fake. I almost yelled out in shock when I heard a loud shrill. On the other side of the turnstiles, there was a column with a ringing payphone. I jumped over the turnstile and dove for the phone. I grabbed the handle, but like everything else here, the payphone headset was just molded to the rest of the apparatus. The phone continued to ring as I pulled on the handle, but it wouldn't budge. Finally, after a minute or so, the ringing stopped. I went to get a closer look at the phone. There were 12 buttons like a normal payphone, but they weren't labeled. Now, a payphone, for you kids that might not know what it is, it used to just be a standing phone with a bunch of numbers that you dialed, and you could pick up and hang up, and it was attached to a cord. What he's saying is... There's None no of label it, on the numbers. And he couldn't pick it up. It was solid. Like, it was fake. Even though it was ringing, it was a fake. It was like like a Hollywood set. Kind oh, of, kind of like, where you can't pick anything up. It looks real, but it's, it's completely false. The black headset of the phone looked plastic, but felt like steel to the touch. There was a label on the top of the fake phone that read ATT phone and a sticker that said DL911 emergency. I sunk to the floor, clutching my head, trying to calm down. My back was to the column as I sat on the floor. At this point, the stress, confusion, and the fact that I'd been drinking earlier caused me to pass out. I legitimately thought I woke up in a normal subway station after a bad drug trip, what I can only assume was several hours later. But after standing up and tugging on the stubborn handle of the playphone, I realized I was stuck in the phantom subway station. I saw daylight streaming down the stairs past the turnstile, so I jumped the barrier and went back to the street level. The sun was indeed up. It was about a quarter of a way from the highest point in the sky, roughly equivalent to mid-morning, or so I guessed. Right before I left my friend's apartment last night, I showered and shaved. I could now feel the beginning stubble on my chin, the five o'clock shadow giving me a rough estimate of how long I'd been there. The sky was brilliant blue, not a cloud to be seen. It was a beautiful day, if it wasn't for the fact that I was on a block from hell. In daylight, the neighborhood was every bit as creepy as it was during the night. There were still no signs of any other people. None of the sounds and smells of the city were evident. 
It was at this point I realized I was waking up after a night of drinking and I started to feel the dehydration and the hunger hit me. As I started walking again, hoping to find something, anything to quench my thirst, again, I encountered formless brownstones. I started checking every door, but they were all the same, solid rock that looked like wood. After the first dozen, I just kept walking until I looped back to the entrance with the empty sick pack still standing guard. I approached the building on the right and tried to see if I could somehow scale the brownstone and get to the roof. I felt around the window ledge, but there wasn't enough room for me to get a grip and pull myself up. I had only been on a rock wall once, and I hadn't made it close to the top. I didn't want to risk falling and breaking my back. I decided to take a closer look at the cars that lined the streets. As I looked up and down, I realized there were actually only four different cars that just repeated. A red Jeep, a black town car, a gray Honda, a navy coupe of some sort. And of course, these weren't actual Jeeps, town cars, or Hondas, just the models that appeared closest to. They lacked any sort of insignia or plates. On closer inspection, the Honda didn't even have door handles. The Jeep had door handles, but inside the car, I could see there was no steering wheels. Not knowing what else to do, I walked back downstairs and jumped the turnstile. I sunk back down to my spot under the payphone. I was really starting to get thirsty now. My throat was parched and my eyes were welling up from panic. Would someone eventually find me dead from dehydration and hunger in this place? I was worried I was going to hyperventilate, so I tried to catch my breath. Breathing in through my nose, out through my mouth. My boss was a yoga freak and forced everyone in the office to meditate in the conference room as, as the start of the date. I wish my boss would I do wish that. my boss would do that. I was actually a little thankful for this training now, though, as I was starting to feel slightly more calm. In through the nose, out through the mouth, just the absolute silence was off-putting. As I meditated, I realized I was somehow missing another sense. Smell. On any other day, an unattended subway station would have started to stink by now. Even the well-kept stations in Manhattan had a certain funk to them. But as I was breathing, I didn't smell anything. I opened my eyes, wiped the small tears that had formed, and walked to the edge of the platform. There below me was trash, shitting in pools of subway water runoff. No freaking way was I going to drink that stuff. I must have stood there for at least five minutes debating what I should do, but eventually I jumped down onto the tracks. I was careful not to touch the third rail. I had no idea if it electrified like its real-life counterpart. After getting my footing, I leaned down close to the dark pool and sniffed. Nothing. I turned my hand into a scoop and bought the liquid to my face. This part creeped me out. Like, the idea of drinking subway water, I was freaking out when I was reading this. I don't even want to breathe subway air. I can't. I'm going to read through this. Okay. Power through it. (laughs) Okay. I turned my hand into a scoop and bought the liquid to my face. Knowing that I was eventually going to have to do this no matter what, I slurped the contents of my hand into my mouth. I was worried I was immediately going to throw up, but the liquid didn't taste or feel horrible in my mouth. It didn't quite have the consistency or lack the flavor of water, but it was somewhat similar. I honestly don't know how to describe this other than sort of like water. The hell is sort of like water? I could only pray that bacteria wasn't festering in these pools. That's my biggest thing. Like, if you've never seen a New York City subway station, good for you. But you do not touch or drink or look at anything. After you get out of a subway, you need to sanitize and wash your hands. There's no way you're ever putting your face close to anything. It's gross. I grabbed an empty indented red Coke can from the puddle. Actually, it said cork in gold lettering, similar to cursive straw I was used to. It was larger than 12 ounces, and the hole at the top was a rectangle. Either way, I dunked it into the pool and filled it up, bubbles coming to the surface as the can got heavier. I bought it to my mouth, taking deep gulps. I jumped back to the platform, feeling slightly better. I didn't start immediately vomiting and having diarrhea, so I thought I might be okay. 
I took another sip of the can and looked around. There were two trash cans piled high with garbage. I went to the one on the right to investigate. I was bolted to the floor, but I began sorting through the contents. There were a lot of Starbucks cups, but they were oblong and the logo was blue. They had names like Stuffrocks and Sartfox. I set them aside. I kept going till I found a wadded up McRonald's bag, but it wasn't a paper bag. It had the consistency of aluminum foil. So like, it's oh, almost like a parallel universe right. because it's knockoff names. Everything's like similar, but not. Not really. Inside, I found some fries, which I took a trepidatious bite of. They were cold and chewy, but they tasted remarkably like real McDonald's fries. So this guy's so desperate now. He's, he's eating, eating trash. Trash fries. and But he's saying it still tastes the same, weirdly enough, which is true because McDonald's is trash. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. Score for whoever built this place. At least they got one thing right. Now that I have some food and water in me, I sat back down under the phone and started to think. This whole room was like a bad Xerox. The copycat that had built this place messed up a lot more things than he had gotten right. But my main concern was finding a way out. What was the expression about the rules of threes? A person can survive for three minutes without air, three days without water, and three weeks without food. And that's true. It seemed like I'd had enough air and water to last me for the immediate future. Food was going to be the problem, though. Hopefully, there were a few more scraps in the other garbage cans. I decided to do an inventory of what I had to work with. First off, the stuff that I had on me when I arrived at the copycat station. One red Bic cigarette lighter, one dead iPhone in a cheap black case, one set of keys, a dime a quarter, one wallet with $43 and assorted IDs and credit cards. I sat these items in front of me, plus my jeans, button-up shirt, plain white tees, boxers, socks, sneakers, and a leather belt. I had had about a dozen assorted empty bottles from the garbage can, I found a half-eaten granola bar as well. As hungry as I was, I decided to ration these for later. I sat on the platform trying to think of a way out of this problem. Upstairs was just a loop of a fake Brooklyn street. I had a feeling that the incoming and outgoing train tracks would loop me back to this station too. There I had to check to be sure. I hopped down onto the tracks, avoided the puddle and the third rail, and started walking to my left. I did my best to avoid tripping on the wooden slats. There was only a narrow pathway on the side of the tracks. If this was any other station, I'd be worried about getting flattened by a train, but I had a feeling nothing was going to come coming down the tracks. I kept moving until I couldn't see the platform behind me, the dim tunnel being lit by only what was the equivalent of a small watt bulb every dozen feet or so. I tried to estimate how far it took me to loop back to the street level and realized I should have been arrived back at the platform by now if the tracks were in the same station. They either went somewhere else or took a longer loop back. I started to get nervous. So I turned back around and eventually got back to the platform, finding everything just the way I left it. And guess what? That was the end of this guy's story. He literally never wrote anymore. He left it at that. What the fuck happened? And how did he get out? What? I don't like you or this story <laughs> at all. At all. Now, every time I go somewhere, I'm going to be like, oh my God, I'm going to wind up on a fake Brooklyn street and not know how the hell to get out. And I'm going to have to drink disgusting water. Hey, you know what? Even if that was a story, very well written. Like, that was awesome. I- that was awesome. And I would like to know, where the hell did you go? That sounded incredible. Like, it literally could have been anywhere in Brooklyn except it was all fake Mirage. Did he walk into a parallel universe? Like, did he just sleep into it? Was this all a lucid dream? Who knows? Like, that was a great story. So I have one more that's going to creep you out. Oh, thanks. And then then it's over. So lucky you. It's not over. I'm going to have to go home by myself and think about this for the rest of the night. Oh, I'm sorry. No, not really, but okay. (laughs) Okay, so this is also from Reddit. It's from Spooky Scary. 
I've been reading this post for a year or so now, and I always told myself that if I ever had any disturbing encounter with something I couldn't explain, I would turn to you guys. Seems like the time has come. I have no explanation whatsoever for what I've been seeing in the NYC subway station, and I'm hoping you might have some advice. Every weekday, I commute from Queens to Manhattan on the E-train. It's a pretty long trip since I go from one of the last stops in Queens to the absolute final stop in Brooklyn. Yo. That's a long ass ride. That's pretty much my ride. I'm the end of fucking Brooklyn to the Midtown. So I know the feeling, girl. I feel you. Or guy, whoever you are. The ride takes maybe 50 minutes. Spending so much time on the subway, I've seen a fair amount of crazy shit. A pregnant woman getting into a fistfight with a stranger. A guy ripping his clothes off. Drunkards puking on the floor. People screaming to themselves. But you kind of expect that in New York, since there are a lot of weird ass people I was about to say, here. that sounds like a normal day on the subway. That's a commute in New York City, folks. Yep, that's correct. This is what you do to go to work here. I didn't think I could be shocked by anything at this point until I saw something that made my skin crawl. About two weeks ago, I was making my morning trip on the subway. I was standing up, holding onto the top pole and facing the window. I had been reading a book on my iPad, It by Stephen King, but I stopped momentarily just to notice how zombie-like my fellow commuters look, all either dead asleep or staring at their floor with droopy eyes. I glanced out of the window at the darkened tunnel and noticed we were slowing down a bit, obviously due to train traffic. Story of my life. (laughs) Story of all our lives. Oh, yeah. I continued peering outside at the train, reached a total standstill. Suddenly, my heart leapt into my throat. My eyes fell on a freakish, distorted face in the window, staring right at me. I didn't know how anyone could be standing there. It would have been positioned between the car and the tunnel wall. My eyes remained locked on it as we passed by, and I saw the thing turning its head to continue looking at me. My heart was pounding, and I was breathing heavily as I looked around to see if anyone else had noticed, but sure enough, everyone else was zoned out or dozing off. I know you're probably inclined to say that this was the face of maybe a worker doing construction on the tracks, Mm -hmm. but that's impossible, as I'm 100% certain that what I saw wasn't human. It kind of had human features, but everything was just off. Its skin was pure white which was starkly contrasted against the blackness of the tunnel, and it looked cracked in some places as if it was a poorly made mask. I don't know if I can accurately say it was looking at me, because I didn't see any eyes, only huge, deep, empty sockets. It had no nose. It had a lipless mouth that was gaping open at an unnatural angle, revealing black gums and sharp, jagged teeth that were so huge, I didn't think closing its mouth is even an option. I had no clue what to make of it. When we see something that's outside of our realm of understanding, we feel the need to rationalize it as best as we can to preserve our narrow and comfortable viewpoint of the world. I told myself I must have just been really tired and my eyes were playing tricks on me. But then I had another encounter. I was riding the E-train or home around 3.30 a.m. last Tuesday. I had taken off the rest of the week and decided to visit a bartender friend who convinced me to stay until his shift ended. The car I was in was eerily empty, but the face in the window was far from my mind as I was buzzed off free drinks and listening to some relaxing music. When we were approaching Queens, when the subway halted to a stop, I couldn't believe there was train traffic even at this crazy hour. Yeah, no shit. Oh, this train traffic, no matter what, no matter time, what it is. time of day. I sat back in my seat and let my eyes wander around the subway car when I saw a quick flash of white in the window. I squinted my eyes and realized it was the same monstrous face. I had seen the week before. Yeah, my face looks monstrous right now because I'm yeah, creeped out. Yeah, you looked really scared. I look really scared, I know. Crack pasty skin, hollowed eye sockets, cavernous toothy mouth stretched open. It disappeared almost as quickly as it came in. 
anxiety overtook me as I tried to process what I saw. Yeah, me too. But I didn't have much time to think since I was distracted by odd noises coming from just outside the train. It was quite pitter-pattering the moving around very quickly, almost as if something crawling rapidly and jerkily along top of the car. But I heard what sounded like long, sharp nails being dragged along the steel. Screech! She literally wrote that. The clawing kept getting quicker and louder and more intense until that horrible scraping sound almost became too much to bear. I had my hands clasped over my ears and my eyes closed tightly as I silently prayed for it to end. At long last, the noises stopped abruptly, and I waited a few seconds before slowly lowering my hands and opening my eyes. It was completely silent except for the ringing in my ears. I stared out the window when I saw the thing jump down, a white blur, until it was once again facing me. I saw it had bits of steel stuck in its mouth, and I realized with horror that it was using its teeth, not hands, to try and break through the car. I tried to run towards the emergency intercom, hoping I could reach the conductor, but the train suddenly lurched forward and began moving again. I looked back at the window and the beast was gone, leaving only the fissures in the glass. Since then, I have been avoiding the subway at all costs. After my vacation from work ended, I started hitching a ride with a coworker who has a car and lives near me. What should I do about this? Report it to the MTA? Keep avoiding the subway? And most importantly, what the ever-loving fuck is this thing? Some weird species that evolved down there? Is there a portal to another world buried in the tunnels? Come to think of it, if that creature does want to feed on us, I guess it's looking for food in a prime place. The subway must be like a buffet. It's filled with all different kinds of humans who are completely trapped until someone decides to let them out. And recent reports are saying that train traffic is getting worse and worse. Any other residents out there, please be alert when riding the subway. And maybe stay away from the windows. Maybe just stay away from the subway. And this is why I'm getting the fuck out of New York City, everybody. How am I supposed to go to work on Monday? So that is some subway stories that I encountered online that I thought would be worth mentioning. I hope that you guys enjoyed that a little bit. Vicky does not I did look not happy. enjoy that. I did not enjoy I'm, that. I'm going to pay for this for a very long time. You guys better download this fucking episode. That's Make all this saying. worth it because <laughs> you, 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 guys, she's you better make this worth it because I am pissed. I have anxiety. And now there better be enough downloads for us to start making a crazy amount of money off these podcasts because my Uber budget just skyrocketed because I am never getting on the train again. Ever. Ever getting on the train again. But what the hell do you think that could be in Queens? Like, and why is it only in Queens or like on that train? That's a really interesting... You know what's crazy? Ryan does that train and I'm so creeped out. I don't know what that is. It's like some weird species of something that only lives in Queens and, train tracks. And what's cool and what's creepy to me is that she, she literally at the end was asking, what the hell is it? She wanted answers. It's not like that other guy that just kind of ended a story and didn't right. expect anything. She's like, she's, like somebody please tell somebody me Somebody please is. tell me. Somebody else please corroborate they saw but this. But she also saw it more than once, so that's why it makes it creepy. So it just must be Is something. she, or is she the only one that can see it? Like, is she somehow like a sensitive and like she can see this thing and it sees that she sees it? Who knows? Like it's, oh, or he, man. I don't I know. know. That. Like, anyone that's listening to this, please let us know if you've seen anything creepy on the subway. Maybe I could do a two-parter. The eerie Americas at gmail.com. But let's lighten the mood right now. Yes, let's lighten the mood Vicky, right now. Vicky's bugging out over here. So let me get this going here with the who does that. So let's do this. Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? Who, who does, does that? that? This is from HuffPost.com. And the headline reads, it's funny because right above the headline, it says weird news. Like, no shit. I love that. The headline reads, man stole daughter's Girl Scout cookie money for erotic massage. 
Then right underneath it says, the Oregon dad admitted staging a home invasion robbery to cover up his $740 debt. It's a story without a happy ending. An Oregon man has admitted stealing his daughter's Girl Scout cookie money to pay for an erotic massage. Brian Couture, 40, pleaded guilty on Monday to initiating a false report. He was put on probation, fined $100, and ordered to perform 80 hours of community service, I'm sure on top of the eternal embarrassment. (laughs) He'll also have to repay what he stole, the Washington County District Attorney's Office said in a statement. Back in March... Couture, a forest grove, called 911 to report that someone had entered his home through a sliding glass door and fought with him before fleeing, according to local station KOIN. Police found the home ransacked and spotted with blood. Couture told officers the assailant stole $740 of his daughter's Girl Scout cookie money from a jar, according to the Tacoma News Tribune. Later, investigators spotted inconsistencies in Couture's story and the cookie caper crumbled, the DA statement said. Couture told police that he stole the money from his daughter to pay for an erotic massage and fake the robbery when he realized he couldn't explain the missing funds, the DA statement said. The blood found in the house was almost certainly Couture's, the prosecutor added. The Girl Scouts said the group was working with prosecutors to recover the money father of the fucking year man i'll tell you that much i don't know what's worse that you (laughs) stole your daughter's cookie money that you used it for an erotic massage or that you possibly splattered blood all over your house and faked the home invasion you are like a bunch of different levels of of shit poor child that poor girl and you know what He's he fuck with the wrong people. You do not owe fuck the Girl, Girl Scouts, Scouts of America money. But it, also, they don't play what like the that. fuck kind of erotic massage costs seven hundred and forty dollars? And how many, dude? I don't even know. <sighs> yeah, that guy's up to no good. Period. That's maybe two hundred dollars went to that, but God knows what else he did with that money. And I don't want to know. I really I don't just. Know. I, I don't even know what to say. I don't I don't know what to say. And then like you did it and then you're like, oh shit, I can't explain it. And the best thing that you thought to do was to fake a home invasion. No, but the and splatter your blood. But the best line, the Girl Scouts are working with the cops. Like that just goes to show you the level. They don't fuck with don't Girl fuck Scouts. Don't fuck with the Girl Scouts. That's that's and the, I that's the lo- moral I also of that love that like he has he didn't steal from her daughter he stole from the girl right so it's not really his daughter's money so you know now you're like embarrassed for the rest of your fucking life you have all this community service and you still have to pay them back moron you're saying this is just i can't with you people get smarter already i hope you guys enjoyed this episode if you didn't let me know i'll never do it again i know vicky certainly can't handle it i will probably i'm not even gonna listen i we always listen to our episodes (laughs) there i'm not even listening to it you're on your own you edit this shit find a title i'm never listening to this episode again noted ever but please feel free to send us an email the eerie americas at gmail.com let us know Uh, how you're feeling subscribe leave us a review follow us on instagram all the good stuff we tell you every week but more importantly stay weird americas Bye. bye